0: This week's guest is Ashley Levi, also known on Instagram as Miss Agave, who joins us from Miami, Florida. Ashley originally got her start in the industry when she moved to Australia at the end of 2015. Ashley's first job was at a tequila and Mexican food-themed restaurant. It was this first job that sparked Ashley's interest in agave spirits. Ashley's passion is the education of Agave, and we discussed the many types of Agave as well as some of Ashley's favorites and her recommendations. We also talk with Ashley about developing her own brand. We discuss the Miss Agave platform and Ashley's plans moving forward. Make sure you check out Ashley on Instagram at Miss Agave, and that is spelt M-I-S-S-A-G-A-V-E. Or check out the show notes for the link. Enjoy the show.
1: We are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. With me, as always, is Dan. How are you doing, man?
0: I am doing very well, thank you. I uh, just got over a nice long weekend, so it was nice to get uh, some time away from work.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've heard about that.
0: Yeah. How about you? How was the long weekend business wise?
1: Uh, usually slow on long weekends, and this uh, long weekend, no, no exception, no right? exception at all. No. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Yeah, the weather was pretty fantastic, so it's yeah. a good reason to get out of town. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we have a great guest for you as always Ashley Levi's going to be joining us in just a second before we get to her we should let you know that if you want to be a guest on the industry podcast you should dm us at the industry podcast on instagram or you can email us at info at the industry podcast. club. both of those work for any possible sponsorship as well I should mention uh, lots of stuff going on at Both of my bars here in Kitchener-Waterloo, if you're in the area, you want to check out Sugar Run at Downtown Kitchener, at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram, or Babylon Sisters Wine Bar, Uptown Waterloo at Babylon Sisters Bar. we got lots of great DJ and live music events coming your way, so check out our Instagram for the details on that. We also will soon be launching our comedy night on Wednesday nights at Sugar Run. It's going to be great. Olivia, one of the writers, head writers from Letterkenny, the show Letterkenny, will be hosting a night there every Wednesday starting July 13th, so... Get ready for that. Cool. And we have an Eventbrite set up for that. You can just search Pro Comedy Wednesdays. And, yeah, at July 16th, Brown Man Ali Trio will be at Sugar Run Bar, so you should check that out. That's The Eventbrite link is in the bio at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram. Zach Hanna does the artwork for our show. That's at ZachHanna.co. So you should check out all his fine work. We thank him, as always, for the mm-hmm. amazing artwork he does for us. And I guess finally, we should just say, if you're enjoying the show, you should subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us a great deal. And I guess that's it. Check out the archives. We had a bunch of great guests recently. Elena Anter was here last week again. Previous to her, we had... Um, Lucinda Wright of Cask and Kettle. That's right, yes. That was a very interesting
0: conversation. Oh, and thank you, Cask and Kettle Lucinda, for sending along some samples to us. We got those right. just the other day.
1: It's a very hot day here in Kitchener, so we're not going to try the hot cocktails today, but we will on the very first... Sort of poor weather day, we'll drink some on the show.
0: Uh, awesome. and prior to that, we had Madison uh, Kashubek and Daniel Nevsky, Daniel Nevsky, I should say, and Kayla Davidson.
1: Great. So check those all out in the archives and, and, again, subscribe, rate, and review. And enough about us. Let's talk a little bit about Ashley Levi. Ashley, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks for doing the show. Yeah, thanks very much.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm excited. Uh, so you're coming to us from Miami.
2: Yep, Miami. Miami Beach. Exactly.
1: Oh, sweet. On Independence Day, too. Look at you. <laughs> that was yeah. nice of you to take, take your holiday time with us. We appreciate it. So, let's talk a little bit about how you got your start in the service industry, and then we'll talk a little bit about the whole Miss Agave.
2: Yeah, cool. So, I've been in the service industry for about seven years. I moved to Australia at the end of 2015 after graduating from college. And it was just like my first job out there. I always assumed I was gonna work in the service industry because I figured what better way to meet people in a brand new city that I don't know anyone at than working in a, in the a service and in the restaurant. And so uh, the one spot that caught my eye, it had this huge neon Ghostbuster sign at the front, uh-huh. and it was a tequila bar Mexican restaurant. And I was like, "Are they hiring?" Without knowing how hard it is. To be food runner, sort like a server, bartender. I'm just like, oh, this is gonna be a cool job, kind of thing. And <laughs> it, it was both, right? Like it yeah. really was cool, and it made me who I am today, uh, Miss Agave. But uh, I mean, I learned a lot, and yeah, it's was-
1: okay, So, uh, wh- where in Australia was this? Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay. So I've been to Melbourne. It's pretty cool. there. pretty laid back. I don't remember that Ghostbusters bar, but it's probably after my time. But uh, talk to us a little bit about what you learned while you were there with regards. You said you started as like a busser and then kind of worked your way up.
2: I mean, I started uh, like in December. So you're talking about like holiday. It's summer in Mm -hmm. December out there, but it's still like Christmas and like holiday season. So very, very busy. A lot of like work group like bookings and and all of that. And so yeah, they put me as a as a food runner and I would, you know, best way to learn table numbers and and all that. And then finally got myself a little like learn the food, started getting got the what do you call them? Like the handhelds and yeah. taking the orders. And then in pre shift, sometimes I'll just like tell you what section you're in. And like randomly I'd be, be at the bar. And I'm like, what are they doing? But, <laughs> I mean, you know, learning what's in you know, a Tommy's margarita versus a regular margarita. But the one thing that they uh, gave me the first day was this thick red binder. And it was filled with all this information about different chilies from Mexico. So learning like the cuisine and then everything about tequila. And I would like read it and study it. And we really had to know what was on the back bar. When people would order tequila, it would come with like a chaser, like a sangrita or a shot. And you had to bring the bottle to the guest and like tell them something about it. Mm-hmm. So like server trick, you end up picking like one one to two and you yeah. kind of give everybody the same spiel. But it was like, I remember my first day, someone asked me, I'm like, I do not know. So I go to the bartender and it was this like English guy, Kyle. And I was like, what do I give them? And it was like super busy. And he was like, just pick one you know like yeah. and i was like it's right yeah just just pick one and i guess yeah. it was arete arete reposado which i still love to this day
1: oh nice and so like were you just trying to figure out like googling it learning on the fly about like <laughs> i
2: i guess you know I like can honestly a lot of the bottles have information about them so i would kind of sure. just read the label right but we did get trainings so that also helped like choose
1: Yeah, so this sounds pretty similar to Sugar Run, which is one of the bars that I own, but with the difference is rum. So we have like hundreds of different kinds of rums and I'm always trying to get our staff to do the sort of the same thing, learn a little bit. We'll do like, okay, today we're going to feature this rum. Everyone try it, learn a little something about it and go see how much of it you can sell tonight. It's a really kind of effective way to get your staff to sort of, first of all, they, they figure out what they like and therefore that's what they want to sell. But then also like it really increases the knowledge base
2: absolutely i mean it's i guess guests expect the the staff to just know what they're talking about and it's rewarding to be able to have answers to questions and stuff so it just it's all around a good i guess tool education is key
1: yeah for sure uh, and that's uh, that's pretty like for your first sort of job in the service industry that's kind of jumping in the deep end right away like having to learn all these different tequilas and whatever like generally you start at sort of more of like a family restaurant type thing learn the basics and then you move up to a place where they expect you to have product knowledge and stuff so it's kind of like you kind of got thrown to the wolves there
2: i i mean i ended up you know getting used to the the rush of being in the hospitality industry and i learned really quickly that Melbourne especially has an excellent hospitality program there were a lot of really cool bars specialty bars with like a gin bar rum bar and all of that so it was nice being part of a place that was like in the run and it was still a chill laid-back place i mean we had margaritas in ceramic chicken jugs too so right.
1: <laughs>
2: and i was only there for six months because of like the visa that's how it works so then i went to another place that wasn't agave focused but i still took that with me and mm-hmm. used with what i had too.
1: Like you went to another place in Australia?
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, just No, another bar. It was actually like right across the street, but oh, it, was, nice. it, was, it was another bar. It wasn't a guy I focused, but and there was everything. But I still like make sure people drink tequila. or
1: Right. So that's your your original love for tequila comes from working in this, in this bar. What's the name of the bar again?
2: It was called Touche Ombre. I'm not right. sure if it survived the pandemic, but right. they did open one in Thailand as well. Oh, oh wow. Cool. That's
1: cool. So how long were you in Australia before you moved back to the U.S.?
2: Three years. Three years.
1: How many different bars did you work in?
2: No, I was just, it was those two. I was able to stay in the other one longer. And yeah, I had like other jobs that I would do, like some like marketing stuff. And it was just always, I would always just prefer to be in the service industry, especially out there.
1: Right. It's sort of weird because a lot of people have worked in the service industry already, and then they go out to Australia and like, okay, that's a good gr- they're always hiring bartenders and servers in Australia, pretty much wherever you go. So it's like, great, I can work while I'm out there. So I don't know if, if you really have a point of comparison, but how did you find the crowd? the uh, serving Australians or were you mostly serving tourists?
2: Oh no, I mean, the Aussies, first of all, they can definitely handle their alcohol. Yeah. Um <laughs> It was interesting, you know, it's it's 18 to drink. There, I mean, surprising how much drinking is like a culture, I guess, out there. In a good way. I, I don't know. Not, it's not like a native thing. They are still very strict on like how to serve, don't over-serve. Like to even work in the industry, you have to get what's called the RSA to like responsible service of alcohol. Uh, but... No, I mean, it was, it was interesting, people just, you know, most people order a drink with their food, which is not always the case, I guess, here. Mm. Um, like My parents never really ordered alcohol with their meals when I would go out with them here. So, I don't know, overall it was interesting.
1: It's weird, uh, Canada and the US are a little bit different that way, where it's, people don't always get alcohol when they go out, but I feel like in Europe, and in Australia, maybe a little bit in New Zealand as well, that people, it's that is definitely part of their culture. It's like you, if you're of age, you're definitely not going out for a meal and not getting a drink.
2: Yeah, even if it's like a little beer, wine, something.
1: Yeah, that's well, good. It pairs well with food. People should do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what made you decide to move back stateside?
2: Had to. It was just my visa ran up and. It was just easier to come home as much as I was like, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. I had this like very different perspective of life. I don't know. Out there, it was very work to live. I I really enjoyed being out there and and coming back was a bit of a shock. But I mean, I made the most out of it, I guess. And I'm still here. But yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, so you are you originally from Miami? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you came back home and, and then you, did you pick up with a job in the service industry as soon as you got back as well? Or were you doing something else?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I did. So I did end up getting like a digital marketing job. And then there was a tequila bar opening really close to my house and coming back, what like I said, it was, like it was a mid shock. So I was wanted to be as busy as possible and work as much as I can. Um, and that place wasn't open for lunch. It was perfect. So I would work like 10 to 4 and then go straight to the to the tequila bar and yeah i, I was behind that bar uh since it opened
1: oh nice uh so how, tell us how this whole miss agave persona developed and what it, and, and what it is
2: yeah so miss agave that's me that's my <laughs> instagram handle that's i guess people call me that or just agave now m-i-s-s not mrs okay. agave i'm married to the agave Good. Uh, but <laughs> I guess, so when I moved back and I was working in this bar, I was in Fort Lauderdale and it, it was a change being in the hospitality industry overseas and it is here. Mm-hmm. And I loved having like all these tequilas behind me and trying to explain to people like, Oh, you should try this one, that one. And I learned really quick. Not everybody cares that I have to say, not everybody's really there for the tequila. It was a new place. So they're going to check it out. And I was like, I'm just going to, I want to put this somewhere. So when I got the name and it came to me and I made the account, I I just started posting and I would post a lot of just bottles that I had on on the back bar at the bar and like information, photos I had from when I'd gone to Mexico and then the pandemic hit. And then I had to start doing the videos from home, the cocktails from home. And I kind of put a face to it. And then I uh, had a logo in the works, and then the logo kind of helped establish, like, a brand, which I guess is me. Right. Uh, and, and then, I don't know, ever since, it's just Miss Agave. And welcome so,
1: to so what are you hoping to accomplish with this? Like, it's basically an Instagram profile is the main source of it, correct? So, like, what, what are you trying to get across? Is it just love for tequila, education, just cool videos, what, like, or all of the above?
2: Yeah, oh, so there was really no in, intention behind it. The, the logo, like I would say, it really, I just wanted to get that image and make it live, I guess. And I, I really like it. And and my passion is the education of agave spirits. So even till now, I'm still a bartender. I work at a mezcal bar. I've, I keep learning. I'm still learning about different brands, different spirits, different practices. Uh, maybe something that I would drink two years ago, I would rethink now and... Maybe the opposite. And so we'll see, like my passion is the education. So I want to continue learning, going out there to Mexico and and digging in, but also being behind the bar right now, I think is a perfect place to do that Mm -hmm. as well as online
1: okay so maybe talk to us a little bit about we have had some people uh very tequila focused people on the show here before but for anyone who hasn't listened to those episodes shame on you first of all but mm-hmm. second of all for maybe people who aren't as familiar with say the difference between like, well, like what are some of the big myths in the agave industry or what are some of the misnomers or like maybe you can even just explain the difference between Mescal and tequila for our listeners
2: so the one thing that I've made many videos on and uh, it's that mezcal is not smoky tequila.
1: Right. <laughs> I know that people come
2: at me and they're like, it's just, it's a good way to explain it. You know, not everybody has the time to get behind the bar, but you know, when it comes to tequila, mezcal, raisilla, bacanora, those are agave spirits. They come from Mexico. They're protected within denominations of origin um, in Mexico. And there's like, laws behind uh, how to, you know, what what defines a mezcal? What defines a tequila? So the term mezcal comes from a Nahuatl word, uh, cooked agave. So that's why any agave spirit is technically a mezcal. And right. this is gonna be confusing. So yeah. <laughs> in a way, so tequila is a mezcal, and mezcal is a mezcal. Right. That is a cooked agave. So. I mean, they're all different, it comes to different uh, agaves, different cooking processes, different regions. Right. Um, and and they do technically taste different. Uh, so I'm Okay,
1: thinking... well, correct me if I'm wrong about this, because I probably am. So what you're saying is like, it's all technically mezcal, but what makes, for instance, cognac is brandy, but cognac has to come from the cognac region of France to be okay. called cognac. Or, or champagne is sparkling wine, but it has to come from champagne to be designated as champagne. So similarly, tequila has to come from the tequila region where it's is a 100% blue agave plants, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm fucking nailing this! Well, oh, yeah. I had to reach into the memory banks, but
2: <laughs> well, that's, that's the analogy. I mean, the whole champagne and comes from champagne, and if not, it's sparkling wine. It, it works the same. I mean, tequila used to be called vino de mezcal de tequila, a wine of mezcal from tequila. Tequila is a, a town. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the name it kind of stuck. So, so yeah, I mean, it's not the only region where tequila comes from. But, yeah, if, if you've had tequila, every single tequila you've ever had and every tequila on, our, on all back bars are all made from the same one single blue weber agave. Uh, Miscad, there's over 40 different varieties. yeah, uh, there's about like five or six. So that's definitely one reason. So
1: one of the big issues, in my understanding, but you know more about this than I do, So is that what, a big problem right now is all these celebrity tequila brands are creating a shortage in blue agave plants? Is that accurate?
2: See, so, there is a lot of negative talk. I, I make fun of them myself because I am not. My, my videos aren't going to be the downfall of Casa <laughs> Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
2: accepted that. Uh, <laughs> I, you know the whole shortage of agave things. It was. De- it's definitely a thing before because. They would produce enough, or they would they would plant a bunch, and then seven years time, then they had too much because that's average how long it takes for the agave to grow. So then they would plant less, and then it would just be a spike every eight, seven, eight years, right? I got it. No. Now they're they're just they're pretty they're, they're they're pumping them out, and also with all these modern technologies, they're not even they. There is a select a few brands that don't even wait for the full amount of time for the plant itself to grow. Right. So they're not, they're pulling them at three years to make us the spirit, and that's a whole other thing. And and then when it comes to the, the the celebrity brands, you don't have to be a celebrity. There there are plenty of people that have an idea to go to Mexico and make a brand, and I feel like there's maybe a good approach and a bad approach, right? If you're there just to be another brand out there and it all comes down to marketing, then it's kind of a problem, but it's, it's, it's not good for the industry now. And also I guess the flavor profiles that are usually compared to when you're talking about celebrity tequilas, it's not like, doesn't taste what to me tequila should taste like half the time So I feel like you're training these palates to want this sickly, sweet spirit. And then you try to introduce them to these, like, good brands and, you know, traditional brands. And it's like, oh, no, that's bad. And I'm just like...
1: Right, right. Whereas, really, like, it's kind of funny because maybe it's just because I'm older. But, like, when I grew up, everybody was just drinking, like, Cuervo Gold. So I thought that's what tequila was. And I just thought tequila tasted like shit. So forever, that was... My end, like anytime somebody brought up tequila, I'd be like, fuck that. Then I went to Mexico and realized, oh my God, there's so much delicious tequila. i would just been drinking garbage because it was the most popular rail brand that, and if you ordered tequila in a bar, that's what you would get, right? I guess what I'm getting at is like, so for me, that was, I sort of learned that there was good tequila after drinking shitty. But now it's kind of flipped in what you're saying is where people are starting to drink, shitty sweet tequila and then don't know about the like don't know about the older sort of kind of more established good brands
2: yeah i i mean not everyone's going to be a purist not everybody really cares right and right. so as some as people like us in the industry or like me are super passionate about it and and do care about the future of the agave because it's not so much the overproducing of it there's also issues with the fact that there's all these modern machinery essentially changing the way tequila supposed to taste anyways and also being a monoculture we struggle you can you can argue that you know we could lose the plant as a whole which could be another topic or the next topic but right. yeah i mean i'm in the same when i got to australia i hated tequila i because i was used to you know i'm a miami girl i was used to the cuervo and i just i wasn't having it and when I started tasting good stuff, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is so different." But yeah, you know, the other day at the bar, I this lady asked for a reposado, and I brought her over. Um, it was Fortaleza Reposado, which is a lot clearer than, let's just say, Casamigos Reposado. Right. And it's a little dark in the bar, and she was immediately like, "Oh no, no, I can't drink that. It's not. It's not going to do me good." She thought it was like um, she thought it was like a blanco which is fine but the problem was like she already related to reposado being this by the color and right. it's like it's a natural product i don't know they all they're all different um, yeah. so yeah so,
1: so maybe describe to our listeners the difference between blanco reposado and añejo just so people understand what where why sometimes they're different colors sometimes they don't need to be etc
2: for sure so tequila it starts off as an, an agave they cook it They crush it to get the juices out of the fibers. It gets fermented and distilled and the purest form of the agave spirit. It comes out clear, which is your blanco. It's unaged. It may rest in glass, which is not aging it, but it doesn't touch a barrel. So then reposado is a blanco tequila. So they are all essentially blancos that gets placed in a barrel. It could be like ex-American bourbon barrels. They've done rum barrels and it's... Two months, so sixty days, up to a year. But then once it hits that one year mark to three, it's considered an añejo. And then three plus five is is an extra añejo. Right. So I always say there's no better or worse. It comes down to preference. The barrel is going to add sort of flavor in a way, like it'll right. I like, guess caramelize it a bit more, and they're more expensive because more time is going into them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, and yeah, yeah. Just expensive doesn't always mean better. Then that's that goes across all forms of spirit wine whatever beer like uh, we there's this misnomer that if it costs more it must be better and once you say it's the best thing about spirits or wine education is learning that that's not the case right like (laughs) you can get so okay so let's talk about some of your favorite brands i want to attack in a few different ways maybe let's start with tequila and then tell me one that you think is super maybe people don't know enough about that is one of your favorites you can tell me your exact favorite or and you can tell me maybe one that's a uh, good value and then give me one that's just overpriced shit.
2: OK, so top brands would go Fortaleza's up there. I'm pretty sure Rio agave enthusiast has that one there. It's Los Abuelos in Mexico, but uh, Fortaleza outside of Mexico. Tequila Ocho is also there may not be as known. I know it's it's pretty big in the UK. Um, and in the states, it's just it's a great brand. I've seen it at Total Wine. so it is available. And they focus more on like Agave. Um, so they do a lot of like terroir, like different uh, ranches. So it's kind of like vintage. They say, they, I've heard them say like, you know, buy three. One for now, one to share, and then one you save. For, oh, nice. Yeah. The time. One, I guess, affordable. Uh, uh, it's Zapatio. Definitely. It's, it's, it's just, it's a great one. And they have an overproof one, which is excellent. That one was quite delicious and I tried it at their distillery. So Zapatio. Okay. And overpriced. Uh, Clase Azul. Oh,
1: Cal- wow. I didn't see that one coming. Okay. That, that's good to hear because um, it's now are, you're not saying it's just, are you saying it's you wouldn't even recommend that tequila or are you just saying they charge too much for it?
2: No, I wouldn't recommend it. I yeah. think that's one of the ones that people, you know, they focus solely on their reposado while they do have a blanco. I know they, I know they have a couple of mezcals, but you know, I think, it's another one where I'm not going to run them out of business. It's right. it's there. It's the bottle. Everybody recognizes it, sure. and I've seen bars price it for sixty dollars a shot, and Crazy. paying yeah. a lot of money for that bottle. And the bottle is beautiful. Like I I, I get it, but
1: yeah, nobody can argue the marketing is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay, so that's great. So can we do the same thing with Mescal?
2: Yeah, but you know, I will say with mezcal, it's a little it's a little harder just because it's more so by agave. So kind of, I mean, you could almost say that with tequila by batch. A lot of people look at the lot numbers and say, maybe this one wasn't so good, but that one was. But with mezcal, it's kind of like all over the place, just because, you know, it is a preference thing, kind of like wine with grapes. Like I prefer the Karwinski agaves from one brand versus, you know, maybe a Tepestate from another but we'll try. So okay. <laughs> the Cinco Sentidos, I've pretty much enjoyed almost everything that I've tried from them. Cinco sentidos, it is a brand in itself, but it's more so like a they go to different palenques and gather batches of what they can from like local from local palenques. So it's not like I don't see you wearing like swag from Cinco Sentidos. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they like yeah. represent the other people under their brand. Um, and they have a really cool bar in Oaxaca. The Recampero, Campero, I'm a good fan. I'm a big fan of Recampero. has a very large selection of different agave varieties. So if you're someone that doesn't, has only tried Espadin, which Espadin is the most common agave variety from Mezcal just because it takes tastes the least amount of time to grow and yields a lot of sugar versus something like a tobala and cuish so i drank a lot of this in chicago last week i saw it all over oaxaca and i i can't find it in miami but it's c-u-i-s-c-h-e you can find the brand of great and then over over i don't know if overpriced but i'm just gonna
1: 400 conejos is, uh, No go. No go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but that is a popular brand, so that's that does fit into what we were talking about. So, what are you looking to do with the whole Miss Agave going forward? Are, like, are you, are you focused, I know you're focused on education, but is there any? Do you have any plans to expand this into something more of like like an online class, or or are you just happy doing it on Instagram and
2: gaining followers? Yeah, I mean. I I do think about this often the social media aspect like that's really where the brand lives I mean people that know me from finding me on social media or have known me personally in Miami as a bartender and connect me with that branding that name it's 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 tricky because like I keep building it's like a monster that I didn't really foresee like I, I would it's hard because I can't really see myself as like a brand ambassador for one brand. I'm an ambassador for the agave spirit, spirits as a whole. And I feel like, I'm going to end up in, like, a job that may or may not exist yet or creating something that may or may not exist yet. I would absolutely love to take this and travel with it. I've gone overseas to several countries, and I can't drink anything that I like. I mean, I stick to beer because they don't really have it out there yet. And it's like a catch-22, right? Because it's like I want people to taste tequila and, and mezcal and have it everywhere and enjoy it, but also this isn't something we want to keep uh, mass producing to the point. I mean, I want Mexico to like make the money and the Palenques make the money. But do you see what I'm getting? Like some yeah. of these take 25 years to grow. Like imagine trying to speed up this process so like they can export it everywhere. And then with some cases you might not even see Mexico even getting or keeping most of it, you know, so...
1: It's kind of an interesting it sort of catch point too that you bring up as well uh, on a different level in as opposed like you you're really just trying to push support for a it. and so bringing up like not wanting to tie yourself to a specific brand because then that's a completely different job, but the easiest way to monetize it for sure, but now you're essentially shilling for a brand and I certainly know a million brand ambassadors are lovely people and do a great job pushing their brand. But when you, if you really talk to them off the record, quote unquote, then they might not even be repping their favorite brand, right? You know what I mean? Like, they, like someone who's a whiskey uh, fan and has found themselves working for a certain brand. Now their whole job is to push a certain kind of whiskey. They might like that whiskey, but it might not be their favorite one. So it'd be interesting to see if there is a situation in the future where you can go travel around the world just preaching the agave uh in without being and and be able to monetize it without um without being tied to a specific brand
2: yeah i mean i've worked with some brands and they you know that's the agreement like you know you can't take away the Miss agave, like that's that's established. Um, So that would be great if like I could find brands that I love and also, you know, because I also need the brand, right? Like I could go out there and talk agave, but I need the brand. So it's like when I've done like little bartending events or virtual stuff, I need a product, yeah. you know, so sometimes I'll have to contact these brand ambassadors. So it would be cool to have, I guess, a collaboration or, or something with, you know, the brands that I love and support, understanding that I'm like the new kind of brand ambassador that it's, it's, you know
1: right and I think that you're onto something there I really do like I think that you might be creating your own job here just as we're even talking about it kind of like because that it, I, I think for me as a guest at a bar if I was going to go and learn about making craft cocktails with tequila or mezcal or whatever I would certainly like to ha- or if it was just a tasting night where you, an education night you'd want to be introduced to as many different kinds of brands as possible as opposed to just sticking with the one the whole time well, yeah. How, how do we make this happen?
2: Um start off by just doing it without support like right? Yeah. So just using all the brands and I don't know getting some samples from brand ambassadors if possible and then eventually showing that it's it's a viable like it works, you right. know? Cuz also like people can read through like the bias and 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 the fakeness and you know, I know that like certain brand ambassadors will, like, send me, like, an eye-rolling emoji or say something negative about a brand that I'm, like, posting about because it's not their brand. And I'm like, what, like...
1: Yeah, man, but I don't, I don't understand that mentality in anything. I, I'm a firm believer in the rising tide lifts all boats approach to anything we do. So if you, if you can find a couple different brands who are willing to let you do your thing, how is that not going to help them all?
2: Exactly, exactly. I mean, I hope that I can... know i I am a bartender right so i always say like i understand that like some brands need are going to be in the well right we're at the point where mezcal is in the well five years ago that was not the case there wasn't a well mezcal somehow there was room in the well and we all have a mezcal there and i'm probably a mezcal cocktail if not two on most bar menus across america but you know so hopefully what my i guess my own uh, education and my own understandings and what i share i can get an authority as well and trust uh, from i guess the followers the people that watch my content and the brands to then eventually be able to like say hey look like it's gonna benefit everybody
1: right
0: yeah, that sounds actually kind of like uh, what Danil Nevsky was talking about—the yes. indie bartender approach, where you're the brand and you associate stuff with multiple uh, companies and stuff, and sell it that way. It's pretty interesting. You should check it out, actually.
1: Yeah, uh, he's uh, the indie bartender or at the Cocktail yeah, Man, I believe. Yeah, um,
0: indiebartender.com, dot yeah, com, and yeah. he has like a pretty interesting site actually, where he can—he uh, just lays everything out.
1: Yeah, it's like, cause that's what he's done. He sort of promoted himself as the brand, as the bartender. So that might be something you could look into, but I would certainly look into that site for sure. And thanks so much for spending time with us on uh, Independence Day. Happy America's birthday to you, <laughs> as much as you might be feeling or not feeling that right now. <laughs> Just tell our listeners uh, exactly where they can find you online so everybody can get some uh, Agave education.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm excited you know, to listen to this back later. Mm-hmm. So Miss Agave, M-I-S-S Agave, A-G-A-V-E. That's my handle on TikTok and Instagram. And yeah, that's where you'll see my content.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again. Perfect. Really appreciate it, Ashley. And uh, yeah, look out for Ashley coming to an uh, area near you, preaching all different kinds of tequila on the scale, not brand dependent. Yes. <laughs> thanks again. Wonderful.
2: Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much.